Well, if you will please turn in a Bible to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. As we continue our study of the Advent story from Matthew's account. So you get angels and shepherds in Luke, and you get the wise men in Matthew. And so we usually go back and forth each year of which one we look at. So this one, this time we, we get to the wise men again. So technically this is after Christmas. Uh, Jesus was born last week. Uh, and so this is technically Epiphany. Epiphany happens, uh, is, is after Christ's birth. Um, and so just to let you know, that's where we stand. Uh, so if you were looking for Jesus to be born, you should have come last week. Uh, Matthew chapter uh, 2, starting at verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born at Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, the wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it, when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, and the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country, by another way. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray now uh, for the preaching of your word, that by your Holy Spirit, um, you, would, you would put Jesus very clearly before the eyes of our heart. Change us, Lord. Change us. We pray for anointing of the Holy Spirit. In the name of Christ, we ask it. Amen. If you were to ask a hundred different people who they thought Jesus was or what he came to do, um, I think you might almost get a hundred different answers, um, at least fifty or sixty. You know, some might say that uh, he, he's a, he was a good teacher, he was um, a good man, he was a prophet. Um, someone might say he was a myth. That's a pretty common one. Um, someone might actually say that he's the Christ and he came to save us from our sins. I, I hope you would say that. You know, while there might be fifty, sixty, a hundred different answers. They really are just two. It all boils down to two responses to Jesus. It's either belief or unbelief. It might look different. It might look like acceptance or rejection or worship or opposition, but in the end, it's either heaven or hell. That's the message of the Bible, that Christ came, and who He is is really important. What He came to do is not something for us to decide, but rather is revealed to us. The good news is salvation has come into this world. You know, we, there's a reason we celebrate Christmas with so much light. Because our hearts are hard and dark. And we live in a dark world. Every time you turn on the news, it seems darker. And yet Christ, the light of the world, has come into the world. And the darkness has not, and, and it will not, overcome it. In our text today, we see 
three groups, but really two responses to Jesus. We see the Magi, we see Herod, and we see the Jewish leadership. You know, each has their own reaction to the arrival of the Christ, of the King, but it really is boiled down to two, belief or unbelief. You know, it's interesting that those who are furthest originally from Bethlehem, about a thousand miles away, seem to end up very close to the king. And yet those who are ethnically and geographically very close to the king end up very far in unbelief. Sometimes things are too close to us to see it. Have you ever looked for your glasses? You know what I'm talking about, right? Uh, so about a month and a half ago, it was a Thursday morning, and we have Thursday morning Bible study at 6, uh, really early. And uh, it's a great Bible study, and I was getting ready while the, while the family was asleep, and I couldn't find my belt. I looked for my belt for 10 minutes. I was going to be on time. And do you know where my belt was? It was on me the whole time. <laughs> my belt, right? Sometimes you're too close to see things. Well, sometimes... Christmas can be too close. Sometimes we can get too comfortable with Christmas. Sometimes, um, sometimes we've, we've read the text so many times, and it can seem normal, uh, expected. But, but really, Christmas is this, is this amazing, almost radical thing in which God becomes man, in which God becomes man to save mankind, those who would call upon His name, those who had rebelled against Him. That that. It, that doesn't make any sense from a logical, fleshly perspective. That's why it's called grace and mercy. That Christ would come to take the wrath that you and I deserve. And in order to do that, God had to become man to take to himself a human nature. And so that's what happens at Christmas. And, and, and when, people, when, when Christ came at Christmas, there were different responses. So we want to look at some of those responses today and see how, see how they might line up with, with our responses. How have you responded to Christmas? Um, you have responded to Christmas, by the way, or at least to the gospel message. We should say that. Let's, let's take it out of the Christmas message and take it away from Hallmark. Let's talk about Jesus. How have you responded to Jesus? Christmas is a great time to take stock of those things. The first group of people we see is that of the wise men. Now, in our framework of belief and unbelief, they seem to be the ones who believe. Now, commentators are divided on whether or not they actually are believers, if they're actually converted. But, y'all, it certainly seems like it by the end of this passage. They're worshiping the king. They bring him uh, gifts. Um, so even if, they're, even if they don't know everything yet, that they, they seem to do what everybody else is supposed to do, bringing worship to the king. But we do need to talk about these three kings because they weren't kings and there weren't three of them. Uh, now we're going to sing uh, at the end of our service a great hymn. It's an amazing hymn. I love this hymn. We three kings of Orient are. And as soon as we get past the first line of the first verse, it's a wonderful, wonderful uh, song. Uh, but you, we do need to know, first of all, they weren't kings. Did you know that they weren't kings? They were magi. Magi were specifically not kings. Magi were actually advisors to kings. And so, you know, in the Old Testament, we look at, at Daniel. He was an advisor. He was a, a, a magos, a singular. He was one of the magi to, uh, to, to, a, to a king. So they, they weren't kings. Uh, they, were, they were also astrologers. Now, there's a difference between astronomy and astrology. Do, do you know this difference? It's an important one. Astronomy is studying the stars and measuring their courses and studying the planets and, and, uh, and doing all the calculations. Um, 
Astrology, however, is studying the stars like horoscope kind of thing, so, so that you can tell the future. And the Bible is actually really clear that's not a good thing. Horoscopes are not good. Uh, God controls the world. The stars don't. God controls the stars. So just, just in case you wondered. Um, so they were astrologers, and they had been looking to the stars for certain signs. And God used uh, their practice of astrology to draw attention to the fact that the Christ, the king, the king of the Jews, was born. Somewhere in all of their religious writings, they would have collected the religious writings of all the cultures around them. Uh, They must have had Numbers chapter 24, verse 17. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. They they had been looking for the star, and it arose. Well, okay, so they're, so they're not kings, they're magi, and they're astrologers, but we also don't know how many there are. There, there could have been three. There could have. All we're told, though, is that there were three gifts. And so they brought three gifts, and, and it's, not necessarily, um, it's not necessary that there only be three of them. In fact, we would know that there are more than three uh, people traveling because the trip was about a thousand miles. And, and commentators disagree this would be 40 days to three months. This is a long trip, and it would have been through the wilderness. It would have been through the deserts. And so these very important people, these counselors to foreign kings, they're not going to travel through the wilderness by themselves. They would have had a great retinue of people. This would have been a, a large, long train of very important people. News would have been going out before them. They would have had people to carry their tents and their food and their water. And guards must have had guards, not just only to guard them, but also these invaluable gifts that they will give to the newborn king. Well, there's one other thing, and we have this wonderful nativity outside our church. Have you seen it? It is gorgeous. However, we probably need to take the wise men and put them in the Baptist churchyard because they're not here yet. Uh, It it takes up to two years for the wise men uh, to show up because the star appears at Christ's birth. We know that it's probably less than two years because Herod next week is going to try to kill the Messiah, and he's going to kill all the male children two years and younger. So that kind of gives us a time frame. When the wise men show up, Jesus is no longer in a stable. He is no longer in the hay. He's no longer in a manger. He seems to be in a house, and he's close to being a toddler, and he's probably sitting on Mary's lap. Okay, so it's a, this is a different scene, and it's important that we, we get the facts right because the Word of God is, is really clear about what's going on here, and it gives us an understanding of the importance of the proper response uh, to Christ's coming. So they followed the star that God had sent, had used to attract them, and this wasn't a natural star. It's going to stop and start. Isn't that amazing? It's going to stop and start in our text. And so this isn't just some natural phenomenon. This is something sent by the Lord, something supernatural. And they show up, this huge retinue, in Jerusalem. Because that's where you go. When you look for a king, you go to the capital city. Now, we're going to talk about Herod's um, response in detail in just a second. But Herod's not happy. Herod's not happy. Here are these people that show up looking for the king. And who is the king? It's Herod. And he's not real happy because there's a a new king that's meant to have been born. In fact, Jerusalem, you could cut the tension with a knife. Everybody is upset. Everybody's in turmoil because Herod is in turmoil. You go to the capital city looking for a king, and so these wise men, they go and they are asking about the Christ. Now, they ask about the king of the Jews, but Herod knows immediately who who they're talking about. 
He understands what is going on. He understands that this is the Christ, the Messiah, the one who had been promised for hundreds of years, all the way back to Genesis 3.15. Right? This one who was going to come and crush the head of the serpent. The one who was the Messiah, the appointed one, the Son of Man. And he takes it very seriously. He takes it very seriously. This king who is going to come and take away the reproach of Israel. And so he gathers everybody together, the chief priests and the scribes. Um, This wasn't an invitation, wasn't it? The king said, hey, get together. We're going to talk about what's going on. And he asks them where the Messiah is meant to be born. And they know immediately. Micah 5.2 is quoted in our text. And it tells us that the Messiah is going to come from Bethlehem. Now, there's something that's an important aside here. Um, what drew the... What, what, what got the wise men to Bethlehem? Well, first we have the supernatural star the Lord sent. But that didn't get them far enough, did it? It got them part of the discussion. But ultimately, it was the Word of God that got them to Bethlehem. It got them to Jerusalem, but then they had to find out from the Word of God from Micah 5.2 the rest of the story of where to go from there. It's, it's true in all our lives. Uh, the Lord will use many ways to bring us to Christ. But ultimately, it's the Word of God that's going to tell us about the coming of Jesus and what He has done for us. And so with instructions from Herod to, to send word when they find the Christ, because he wants to go and worship him too, right, or, or kill him, uh, they head off towards Jerusalem, or excuse me, Bethlehem, the nativity star picking speed back up. And it leads them right to the house where the toddler Jesus can be found. And they find Jesus. And I love their response. I love the response when the, when the star leads them to where they are seeking to go. We read in verse 10 this amazing phrase, They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. There are no um, exclamation points in Greek. And so you end up, if you want to emphasize something, you say the same thing in a lot of different ways. Rejoice is the uh, verbal form of joy. So they, they joyed, they rejoiced with great joy, exceedingly great joy, because the Lord had led them to this place. I wonder, is that our response to King Jesus? Is that our response to King Jesus? You know, it's different to have joy because of Christ, but also being joyful at Christmas parties. Those are two different things. It's one thing to be filled with sugar cookies, another thing to be filled with the sacred Christ. It's one thing to receive good gifts, and it's another thing to receive the forgiveness of sins. It's one thing to receive presents from Santa, and another thing to receive the gift of salvation. What's your response to the coming of Christ? What's your response to Christ, period? Let's take, it out of, let's take it out of Christmas. Let's just talk about Jesus. Do you rejoice exceedingly with great joy because the Messiah has come into this world to, to save you from your sins? This is exceedingly great, great news of great joy. You know, as we think about these uh, wise men, what do they do? They, they lay down their gifts. I love this image. They actually worship him. They pay homage. The Greek word here is to basically they prostrate themselves. They fall down on the ground before the infant, the toddler, Jesus. And they bring, they lay before him this great. I mean, there are only a few people in the house or maybe in their courtyard. And there are potentially hundreds of people overflowing out of the house. You know, the neighbor's thinking, what is going on? 
as they rejoice that they have finally arrived. They, they lay down their gifts. But it, it makes us think about what, what do we lay down? What do we lay down before our king? We, we lay down our sins. We lay down our burdens. We lay down our failures. And see, Jesus took those things up. And He took them on the cross as He was lifted up on the cross that He might pay for our sins, that we might have salvation, that we might be given the Holy Spirit, that we might be given victory over sin, love for the lost, love for God, that joyful anticipation of the return of Christ when all things are going to be made new. What's your reaction this morning to Christ? See, in our framework of belief and unbelief, we move now to that of unbelief. Uh, and you see in your, in your outline that, that there are really two groups in this category, Herod and the Jewish leadership. You know, Herod's opposition uh, is, is very apparent, <laughs> very apparent. Herod, super against the king, super against anybody that's going to oppose him. Herod was a bad guy. He was a really bad dude. Uh, there are four Herods in the New Testament. Uh, so, so if you think, man, these Herods, they seem tend to uh, uh, live a long time, and didn't he die already? That's because there are four of them, okay? So this Herod was super bad. He had killed three of his sons and his wife because he felt threatened by them that they were going to take his rule and his reign. Not the kind of guy that you want to hang out with. So it's this guy who hears that uh, there is this great retinue from the east coming to see the new king of the Jews, and he's really upset. He is not happy. But he's politically quite savvy. So he plays it cool, and so he listens to the Magi finding out from the Jewish leadership where the Messiah was meant to be born, and then says, hey, go and, go and, uh, and check this thing out and, and send word to me when you find out so that I might come and worship him too. Well, of course, we'll see next week that it was all a ploy seeking to kill Jesus. If he killed his three sons and his wife, he certainly wasn't going to hesitate to kill some little child. Why was Herod opposed to Jesus? Why was Herod opposed to Jesus? Because he, was, he felt threatened by his kingship. Here was a king showing up, the true king showing up, and he felt quite threatened. Now, it's easy to throw Herod under the bus, and perhaps we should, and back over him a couple times. But the thing is, the reality is we should be, too, we should, we should be careful, because apart from the Holy Spirit, we were born Herods too. We were born Herods too opposed to the kingship and authority of Christ. Romans 5.10 tells us that before we were Christians, we were enemies of Christ. Enemies of Christ. You know, so, so many people oppose the kingship of Christ because acceptance of His kingship means that they're no longer in control of their own lives. Now, Christ is king whether we accept Him or not. The king has come into the world, period, whether we accept Him or not. We are invited to bow the knee before Him in salvation. But Christ is king. And there's salvation in submission to our King. But so many times people are kept coming, from coming to the Lord because they, they, honestly they realize what it will cost them. It will cost them their autonomy, or at least their perceived autonomy. Part of coming to Christ is saying, you are right and I am wrong. The Word of God is right and my own desires, they're wrong. Part of coming to Christ is losing your life. But the thing is, we come to a king who lost his life that we might have life. He lay, life itself came and died so that we might be given eternal life. 
that whoever looks upon the Son and believes in Him will receive eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. John chapter 6, verse 40. What good news. Well, Herod was opposed to Jesus. The direct application is don't be opposed to Jesus. Um, but there's, a, I think, a clear application here, and it's the more dangerous one, and it's the apathy of the Jewish leadership. See, as, as bad as Herod is, um, there's this whole group of religious people that reject Jesus just the same, and theirs is really dangerous, and it's really sly. See, Herod goes to the Jewish leadership and says, hey, hey where's this guy meant to be born? And they know exactly where he's meant to be born. Now, here's the thing. Do you know how far Bethlehem is from Jerusalem? It's a distance from Jalisco's to the paper mill, six miles. That's it. And we find that Herod is going to send folks next week, and he's going to send the Magi, but the Jewish leadership don't don't seem to send anybody. They won't go the six miles to see if this is really the Messiah or not. You know, the difference, the opposite of love is not hating, it's apathy. It's not caring. Their hearts were not stirred. And that's a dangerous place to be. My prayer for you this this Christmas is if you're not a believer, that the Holy Spirit would stir your heart and your generation and cause you to call upon Jesus. If you are a Christian, my prayer for myself and for you is that the Lord would stir my heart again to see how lovely Jesus is. I'm telling you, it's halfway through Advent and I'm struggling, guys. Are you there yet, or is it just me? I love Christmas time. But it's hard to keep the focus on Jesus. It is really hard to keep the focus on Jesus in my heart. See, the, these Jewish leadership folks, they, they, they looked great on the outside. They would have been at all the Christmas programs. They would have been at the Christmas party for the office. They would have you know, been in the Christmas parade. They would have bought presents for everybody. They would have known all the verses, I mean, if they had claimed to be Christians. But in their hearts, they, they, didn't, they, didn't, they didn't submit to Christ. My friends, may the Lord show us how lovely Jesus is again. May the Lord warm our hearts the fact that that our Savior has come, and He he came for a purpose. You know, one of the greatest powers, perhaps the only power to melt apathy is love. You know, the icy heart of apathy must be melted by love. You know, when if 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 there's someone that you don't like or just kind of apathetic, and then you find that they really love you, that's going to change your position, won't it? You're going to say, okay, something's here that I didn't notice. Did you know that Jesus loves you? Are you apathetic towards Him? Let me tell you something. Jesus loves you. If you're a believer in Christ, He died for you, right? If you haven't called on the name of the Lord yet, He loves you. He calls you to salvation. He bore on the cross the penalty for your sin. And it wasn't because He had to. It's because He loves you. I pray that the love of God would break through in your hearts and and would melt the icy apathy. That especially as we get closer to Christmas, it seems to, at least in my heart, it seems to settle in more as I start thinking about all the things we got to do the first of the year and all the busyness and travel and all these wonderful things. But I want to love Jesus more. And that comes as we see His love for us all the more. And it melts 
our hearts. So what's your position on Jesus? Are you a worshiper of Christ? Have you bowed the knee? Are you like Herod and hate Jesus? I'd love to talk to you about why you hate Jesus. Seriously, I'd love to have that conversation. If you're apathetic to Jesus, my prayer is that the Lord would would work in your heart and cause you to see the loveliness of Christ uh, this Christmas season. Let's pray. So, Father, thank you for Christmas. We thank you for the Advent season. We thank you for Christ coming into this world to save us from our sins. I pray, Father, that they'd be fresh in our hearts. Guard us from apathy. Uh, Guard us from taking it for granted. Uh, Lord, may it spur us on, this good news of the gospel, to to holy living and loving others and reaching the lost, Lord, that, that our lives will be changed and the lives of those around us will be changed. We ask these things in the name of Christ, our Savior. Amen.